0: This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with his very special guest, Bill Miller. He's a strength and conditioning coach out in Chicago, and he's also author. And we are going to be talking about a lot of the stuff that he writes about in his book and what he does on a daily basis, which is basically making people swing faster. So welcome to the show, Bill, and thank you for coming on, man. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me, man. So real fast, I didn't write the name of your book and I'm blanking now that we've uh, we've gone live. So what's the name of the book
1: again? The book is called Swing Fast, A Guide to Rotational Power Development. And uh, the book basically dives into how I like to go about developing swing power from a strength and conditioning perspective and also from a specific uh, to the swing perspective as well. It's got a lot of programming advice, a lot of science behind why I would program certain methods of training for certain athletes and, and how to assess and make sure that your program is really working for you. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of dive a little bit into some of those points. I think that, that you probably cover
0: in that book from, from what I've seen, I was just telling you beforehand, I actually haven't read your book, but came across you recently and it's on my list of things to read now because um, that is the golf world, at least right now. I know you're mostly uh, baseball and some uh, javelin throwing. It's what I understand,
1: right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so a little bit of background on myself. I was an athlete uh, myself up until maybe four years ago, I was a baseball player trying to do the professional baseball route and um, you know as a, as a batter I was always a big strong dude in the weight room I could uh, outlift pretty much everybody on the field but the one thing that I struggled with a lot was you know transferring all that strength into power on the field and I would see guys that were 40 pounds lighter than me uh, that were hitting balls much farther and harder than me on a consistent basis so I'm like there is definitely a missing component to my training it, it wasn't Uh, just about strength training anymore. For me, it started to shift some gears and, and, and shift more towards the high velocity end of the spectrum. And so recently I've been getting a lot into uh, just golf, uh, you know, driver swing speed. Um, I like to go out and hit the golf ball when I can, but I I suck at it still, but you know, training for speed. um, I've done a lot of this high velocity training and I've seen really, really good results with it. And, And so that was a big, Driving factor for writing that book was, you know, developing a training program that works for your needs.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: and I think that's exactly what what,
0: what we want to talk about because you know we get a lot of talk uh, in, in the golf world where speed is everything, distance is everything these days. Uh, at least that's what everybody talks about. Obviously, you know, the putting and the ch- and the chipping and all that stuff is important too. But uh, everybody's talking about speed these days and how how to develop it, and so. That's exactly why I wanted to get on here, talk about, you know, okay, getting strong is very important for being a resilient athlete and and not getting injured. And then, but does that, how do we, can we translate that into, into speed and, and, and performance? So you kind of covered this, but any other, like any other golf background you, you play in, you know, recreationally, occasionally, nothing, just. Not really, to be honest
1: Yeah, not really, to be honest. I wish I had more time. Um, you know, especially (laughs) since it's funny since, uh, the COVID sort of, um, you know, shutdown started, I figured I was going to have a lot more time to hit golf balls and go golfing and stuff like that. But it's just, it's stretched out my day so much with having only groups of three or four for training. So I'm like, I have no time to do anything anymore, but I'm hoping this spring to get out and actually start hitting the ball a lot more. But, um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the uh, swinging, the golf club is more of a hobby for mine and I use it sort of like experimentation. If I add this into my training this week, will it help, you know, increase club head speed? If I do too much, what's going to happen? So those sorts of things is more where I, I like to look at golf.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, you gotta, you gotta play around with that stuff. And that's, that's exactly how we figure out what's, what's improving things and whatnot. You, know, you gotta take that assessment and then, then have a treatment or a plan and then work from there and reassess and see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead and start off with just kind of giving a real basic of, you know, what are the components of improving swing speed? Like what do, what do we have to look at in order to make somebody better at swinging a club faster?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, it's such a broad question and, and there's so many different answers that you could give that would be right in my opinion. Um, but the way that I like to look at it, it works well for me is looking at the kinetic sequence from, you know, sort of a, an example of like what is helping to accelerate the movement, what is accelerating this kinetic sequence, which muscle groups have to work at very high speeds, and which muscle groups maybe have to be a bit more forceful, have to be a bit stronger in order to drive that kinetic sequence. And so like the way that I like to look at it is uh, hip extension matters a ton, and we have to have very powerful hip extension. So that's where the movement's starting. And then as we work up, you know, we have, you know, the core is transferring energy. It maybe has to be very stiff in order to transfer energy up the chain. And then you have the pecs and the lats that are really working to drive those limbs. Well, the pecs and the lats at that point in the swing are working very, very fast. So we want forceful and strong pecs and lats. But most importantly, we want to make sure that that's transferring to very high speed. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. And so with that information, then you can start to come up with little assessments to make sure that your training is transferring to something that would work in the kinetic sequence. So like for the hips, for example, if we know that the hips have to be very powerful, power is force and velocity, then we wanna try to maybe have some sort of assessment where it would show hip extension power, something like a broad jump for distance, I have bar speed sensors in my weight room. So I'll have, you know, maybe body weight, deadlift, speed. That's a really, really good one. So that's just a simple way to look at it. Um, You know, and then as you go up through the kinetic sequence, you can come up with these little assessments to see, are the pecs getting more forceful at high speed? So it's not just about bench press. We want to take a medicine ball and chest pass it. How far are we throwing it for distance? How far can we do maybe a supine? So lying on your back supine seated overhead throw. Um, those exercises are huge because not only would it help you for training specifically for those, those power metrics, but it's also going to be a good indicator to show that your training is transferring to power development that would matter, uh, for the swing. Awesome. We're going to get into those med ball throws later
0: because I I want to dive. I've seen a lot of great stuff that you've been, you've been working on and I'm, I'm intrigued, but let's start off. Um, so I think, Talking about, I've talked a lot about people doing, putting force through the ground and and ground reaction forces has become really popular, I think in in baseball and then also in golf. Um, But what I would love to talk to you about is like creating that core stiffness in order for that power that we're generating through the ground to transfer. So Mm -hmm. what what ways do you go about doing, doing that?
1: Yeah. and, And so similar to like what I was just saying, like you can find little mini assessments to see what's happening with your training. Um, one that I like a lot is, uh, testing sort of a pal off hold, just holding it right out in front. Um, you could do like a test where you have a crane scale attached to whatever you're pulling against at maximal effort. So it'd be an overcoming isometric where you're not moving, but you're pulling it as hard as you can. I like to test to see how many pounds of force that athlete can put into the crane scale. Um, that's a really good indicator of how much overall force production they can develop but then you know beyond that it's not just about maximal strength we also have to transfer that force at high speeds so what i like to do is test sort of like a rapid uh trunk turn back and forth uh, where we have maybe a 10 or 20 pound dumbbell in our hands maybe a 25 pound plate at most and i would be rotating bang bang back and forth as fast as i could and it's tough to really measure unless you have like a stopwatch and a camera to really see yeah. how how fast that guy's going. But you can really see if that trunk can sort of turn fast, decelerate, and transfer that energy back in the opposite direction. You can really see if they're struggling to move the weight back and forth. If there's if it's really slow in that transition phase between different directions, um, and, and so that that would be a good way to sort of go about training it. And maybe you can get a little bit of an assessment there as well, watching that athlete move. I love, 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 love the, um, the, the drills with the medicine ball where you're taking it, you're rotating it and you're stopping it on a dime. Love that stuff because it's really training that core to, to do what it's supposed to do in a swing. It's supposed to rotate and then bang, it's supposed to stop and, and allow the arms to really fly up and around. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with like Mike Trout's swing in baseball but he's yeah. a guy that has probably the best from what I've heard, at least on K vest. He's one of the best at like being able to decelerate the torso. And he has this swing that looks really, you know, short and compact, but he's de- able to develop so much power. And that's one of the reasons he decelerates the trunk so well. Yeah. And it, I think pretty
0: comparable to a John Rom swing. I don't know how familiar you are with his swing, but he's got <laughs> a very short swing, but I mean, the guy can hit it a mile. So, um, <clears throat> And, you know, yeah. versus you see other guys in golf where like DJ, where he wraps the arms rockily around his body and, and mm-hmm. swings, but he's also got a six, five frame. So he's, he's yeah. got a lot of leverage there, uh, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it shows you there's different ways to do about it. But, uh, I think I like the, that core the medicine ball, cause it's also working like the deceleration. That's where we, you know, I think that's another thing that I think a lot of people know, maybe miss. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, okay, I got to generate power. I got to generate
1: power. I got to generate power. Well, you also got
0: to slow down power too. And, and
1: yeah, so, so the way um, I'm a very, uh, like I, I work a lot with Chris Beardsley of Strength and Conditioning Research and also Eugene Bleaker. He's another really smart dude that if you guys who are listening to this ever want to check out some of the stuff about torso deceleration, you could really look into their work. But um, the one thing that, you know, I've really learned from them is like the way the kinetic sequence works It's, you know, we're, we're transferring force up the chain through sort of like the each segment accelerates, and then it has to decelerate in order to maximize the next segment's acceleration window. So if this segment down here hasn't stopped, then this segment that's coming up next can't really maximize its acceleration. So that's where torso deceleration really plays a role. It's like, it's kind of a dual role. Like we have to rotate fast. But we also have to be very good at being stiff and stopping that torso from rotating too much and then allow the arms to really do their action. Um, And and I I like to talk about it all the time with guys like, you know, we want to rotate around a stable base. Um, This maybe isn't the best example, but the one that I give for for baseball pitchers a lot. Imagine if you had sort of like a trebuchet catapult, like if you ever played one of those stupid catapult crush the castle type games. Imagine if you had a catapult that was super grounded, uh, or, or you know, really weighted down and grounded, you know, into the floor. You could rotate that thing up and around as fast as you wanted. But if it was super wobbly and weak at the bottom, the faster you rotate up at the top, the less energy you're really going to transfer into the, the rock that you're throwing. Swinging and throwing is the same idea. Honestly, it's it's all about how much force you can create. And how how stable that base can be so you can rotate around that stable base.
0: We need to have that stable base. So how much emphasis then do you put on, you know, the mobility aspect from, you know, lower body and upper body kind of separation then?
1: Yeah. From my perspective, since I work with baseball players mostly, the mobility aspect really plays a huge role in throwing. Like if you don't have mobility, you will not throw a baseball fast, period. I have seen guys who are relatively immobile and suck at throwing, but they can still swing a baseball bat pretty fast. I see it as they have mobility in different areas. Um, You know, For swinging, it's probably going to be a lot more T-spine and down, where perhaps you don't need a ton of shoulder mobility to create crazy levels of external rotation that a thrower does, but you do still need to have great T-spine mobility to separate this segment from the last. Um, obviously, you know, the more T-spin mobility you can create, you might be able to create a little bit more of an upswing or that backswing action, um, to create more, more power as well. Hip mobility certainly would play a role, but from my perspective, mobility probably plays the biggest role in being able to stay healthy. If you are an immobile person and you're rotating as fast as you can all the time and you're super strong and everything you're going to wind up getting hurt, especially at the low back. We do not want that lumbar spine to be rotating like a pepper grinder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and and that's where if, if you have enough mobility up here and you have enough mobility at the hips, then you should be able to take a lot of that stress when you rotate off of the lumbar spine. And that's to me where it plays the biggest role. It's like, it might not necessarily impact your drive distance if you gain mobility in the hips and everything, but it's going to allow you to stay healthy to continuously address power in that manner,
0: yeah, and I think, and you know, what I've my experience and what I've read in, in golf research and stuff, we get the same thing, you know, the t spine and the hip mobility. And I like that analogy of the the pepper grinder. That's that's wonderful for the low back. Yeah, exactly what we want to avoid. And so, if the hips and the spine are doing it, then that is not going to be uh, have, having that issue. And so, um, and yeah, you know, huge huge effect on on injury or on resilience there, uh, reduction there. And I also find that, you know, for particularly a lot of the listeners here are, you know, in their, in their, uh, we'll say they're over the hill already. Uh, so that means usually a decrease in mobility that's just pretty standard for, for particularly Americans, but I think for everybody in the world that we just kind of get stiff and, and everything. And so, you know, maybe a little bit of that mobility increases the ability to get into some of the positions that you might be difficult. So outside of that, I agree. Great for keeping you from getting injured, but then for some of the older population, particularly that doesn't move well, it can increase your speed a lot because now you're actually getting a little bit more, uh, more room to work those muscles and the speed. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, look, I'm, I've been seeing a lot of your stuff on med ball throws and stuff. So I'd love to kind of break into that and, and kind of see some of the stuff you're playing with, because uh, I've seen some, you know, single arm throws that you've been working on for lead and and, and um, lead arm and the trail arm. And I want to get into some of that stuff. So where did, where did you kind of get this thought process of working on, you know, one arms power generation, where that mm-hmm. come from?
1: So where I really started to, think about it was i saw baseball players who were doing single arm drills like just they were hitting in batting practice or whatever and you could really see that there were some guys that could take that lead arm and bang really crush balls with it they were all the ones that had the best exit velocities in the cage and the ones who were maybe a little more mushy with that front arm you know not not really driving it aggressively they're the ones that really didn't have a whole lot of power. Or you would look at them, you say, man, there's more in the tank. What's missing there? And so then the light bulb kind of clicked. It's like, well, wait a minute. What if we could find a way to test to see how you rotate with just the lead arm? Maybe we could do a shot put throw where we're really focusing on the trail arm. And then you can kind of look at those two and compare them and see if one is much better than the other, if one is getting better as a result of training and the other is not. So now we can really start to break it down. Um, now, obviously, like you don't want to ever negatively impact the guy's swing. We, we don't want to negatively impact their swing at all by trying to get them to yank much more when they're swinging their golf club or their baseball bat or whatever. So it, it's a very challenging thing. It's almost like we want it to become natural. Well, the best way to make that become natural is if we just put a different implement in their hand like a medicine ball. I have a handle medicine ball that I got from J fit, I think off of Amazon. And so now we're just taking this medicine ball and letting it rip. It's a different enough movement to where it's not going to negatively impact them when they have their implement in their hands and they're ready to play their sport. Right. But it's um, it's, it's a good enough uh, measure for power development. That's very specific to the sport that now we can really start to get a good idea of what that, uh, athlete's capable of. So that's where it kind of all started. And now since where it's gone from there is I keep this in my assessment of, of every athlete, probably about two, maybe three weeks into their training. After I've seen them move for a while, I will put this into their training program and see where they match up. So we have a three pound lead arm ball, uh, uh, one arm ball that we use for, uh, lead arm scoop toss. And if that guy cannot get it over 32 miles an hour, I know that they have some work to do there. I know that there's more left in the tank from that perspective. Um, And then with the trail arm, with the three pound ball, it's right around the same speed when we're doing that shot put throw. Uh, Sometimes it varies a little bit, depending if the guy can get it to really flick off the fingertips, right? It's a little bit higher, but that's the way I like to look at it. It can you develop um, enough power in a way that would positively impact the swing. Okay. And so you're using a you said a three pound ball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I guess like moving on from that, like, um, uh, the question I get all the time is, you know, should we only use the three pound ball in training? I would say definitely not. I think the three pound ball is a good area to assess because we know it's fast enough. It's, it's a high velocity movement. So it should transfer well and, and be a good indicator for swing speed, but you know, for a lot of athletes who maybe are, aren't quite very strong in the weight room, I actually like using a slightly heavier medicine ball, four, five, six pounds, sometimes even heavier. And the reason why is because we wanna transfer more force production into that rotational manner. So like maybe uh, the, the, the way that I would do it, I, I get to measure velocity with these medicine ball throws the way I would do it with an athlete who needed to work on more force production, we would maybe sit at 25 or 26 miles per hour, whatever weight they could throw at it. It's a slightly lower velocity, but we're working on more force at that lower velocity. And then if I was somebody like myself, like a a big strong athlete that needed to work on more speed, I would say, okay, let's get a light ball in your hand and see how fast we can throw it. That's the way that I would go about doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh Um, yeah, no, I think you, I always tell a lot of people when we're training speed and power generation, it's, you still need to be able to move fast. There's still got to be that intention to, to quick movement. So you don't want to go too, too heavy. Usually 10 pounds is, you know, depending on what you're doing, obviously, um, both two hands, 10 pounds, you probably do. Okay. You know, some of the bigger guys, maybe some of the baseball guys that you work with, they could probably go a little bit heavier. I don't know, but, um, yeah, right. just remember that everybody
1: is, uh, too heavy isn't, isn't better. Yes. yes. It, okay, move yeah. 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 And there are a couple exercises like, like the medicine ball slam that works. Okay. If it's a little bit heavier, even yeah. the chest pass that works. Okay. If it's a little bit heavier, but when we start to rotate, that's when I like to keep it under eight pounds or less. That's my, my take that, that I've seen. It works really, really well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that eight pounds is, is pretty good because, um,
0: when you're getting into the The rotation you mentioned, you don't want to mess up somebody's sequence or their, or their uh, pattern of, of swinging. And so you start getting heavier and that's what I've seen in research just kind of start throws things off, you know, with, when they talk about like, particularly with weighted clubs and whatnot, and you made the comment earlier, getting away from an implement that's similar to, to your, 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 um, whatever your, your equipment, your typical equipment, then that, that helps from getting away from that a little bit. So using this big ball, but we don't want to slow you down and, and mess up your, your sequencing. You still want the, like you, you, you're mentioning the hips going first and then, then, then the shoulders and then the arms and and everything. So hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome. So let's uh, kind of, we kind of talking a little bit about that, about challenging the, the nervous system here and, you know, we're using the medicine ball to, to train fast and to really try to get that, that nervous system and the muscles just to respond quickly and move quickly. So where, where do you go with that? You know, do you use anything else besides medicine balls when you're thinking about like challenging the, the nervous system in, in regards yep. to speed?
1: Yeah, we will. Um, what I like to do is you know, definitely jumps for distance. It's really easy to track. It gives them an external feed, you know, an external focus of attention that they could try to jump to a certain spot. So, like broad jumps or single leg broad jumps for distance works really, really well. Um, I also like to see if, uh, you know, maybe if an athlete can do sort of a speed push up or even a clap push up is fine. Uh, But, you know, something to where the pecs are working a little bit faster. And then, of course, bar speeds. Uh, I do a lot of work with bar speeds as well. But probably the most important thing that I've found from, from a power development perspective is when it comes to training, whether it be heavy strength training, power training somewhere in the middle, or that really high velocity training like jumps and sprints and med ball throws, whatever it is. You want to make sure that you are doing the exercises at maximal effort and under minimal fatigue. If you can do that, then I know the central nervous system is working at its fastest rate possible. And whatever sort of adaptations we can create from training will never negatively impact speed. So if if you're doing a movement, let's say, and you can throw it for 30 miles per hour, if you're doing sets of 10, those last three, four, maybe even five reps will probably get down to 26 miles an hour. Now we're looking at a huge velocity loss. Those last four or five reps will not positively impact power anymore. And there's a lot of good research on bar speed loss as well in terms of if heavy strength training is gonna transfer very well to high velocity power development. um, If you're training with like a five to 10% velocity loss, it's okay. But once you get slower and slower bar speeds than that, and you're really grinding out those fatiguing reps, um, you know, it's really shown that it shifts those very, very fast twitch type two X muscle fibers away. um, and it shifts them more towards something a little bit slower, something a little more endurance based. And that's when strength training can kind of negatively impact power development. So whatever training styles you're doing, just make sure it's maximal effort and low fatigue, um, as much as you can. Now, obviously, the the argument then becomes like, well, what about somebody who really needs hypertrophy? You know, you got this little skinny, scrawny 130 pound kid in the weight room, then yes, I will admit like, it's fine to do greater velocity loss with them. But only in those types of cases, like, you know, once you're a pretty big, strong dude, there's no point in pushing for hypertrophy anymore. If it's not going to transfer, you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. So I guess, then, how do you how do you split your your you know, maybe the
1: hypertrophy versus the speed training for, for some of the, some of these people. Yeah. So the way I would do it then is whatever power training you're going to do, jumps, sprints, uh, chest passes, med ball slams, do those first in a workout, do them first in a non-fatigued state. And then after that, you get into the weight room and you can do all the fatiguing exercises you want. So you're getting kind of the best of both worlds there.
0: Perfect. That's kind of how I oftentimes do it. Or I have people, you know, if, if you're really committed, do it every other day kind of a thing, right? You know? Of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fit it in however however it works in your schedule.
0: Yep, yep, exactly. All right. Well, I've got a few wrap-up questions that I ask everybody and, and whatnot. So um, first one is usually it's what's your favorite golf memory? I'll I'll, I'll give you a little uh, leeway here and say what's your favorite sports memory since you may not have as much golf background as we usually get on the
1: yeah it, that that's a tough one i mean i've had a lot I, i'll give you a golf memory though i i am not joking here i at one point in my life sank a 39 foot putt we measured it we had it on camera and everything and i will never in a million years i can't even sink a four-foot putt so i don't know how it happened it's just like the grace of god shone upon me that day and i just banged it really hard i figured i'd get it close and it just bloop right into the hole so that was probably like the craziest moment I've ever had on a golf course for That's sure. pretty Awesome.
0: That's pretty awesome. I mean, 40 feet. I, I don't I'm not sure what the PGA uh, percentage on that is, but it's like maybe 15%. That would be my guess. So yeah, if I did
1: it a million times, I would never get it again. So right.
0: <laughs> What's
1: your favorite exercise or drill to help your, uh, you know, your personal game or your, or your speed. My favorite is medicine ball slams. I don't know what it is about that exercise. I just love it. It's simple. It's effective. Um, I like pairing it with certain exercises, like a lat pullover or even a a max effort pull down type exercise. It it works really, really well. It's simple. It's quick. And what we have is called a, a push band where you can attach the sensor to your arm to see how fast your arm is going. It's pretty cool. And, And it's probably my favorite exercise. Yeah. Very cool. I like it too. All right.
0: What's one takeaway you want listeners to apply from today's conversation?
1: really try to measure as much as you can and and create an external focus of attention when you're training. It makes training a lot more fun. It makes it turn into a, a competitive environment. So if you're doing broad jumps, put a line on the ground and see how far you can get and see if you can get past that line. Same thing with medicine ball throws. If you're throwing them and you don't have a radar gun, throw it for distance and see if you can get past that line all the time. Just set markers for yourself. And, and focus on trying to hit those markers. It makes training so much more fun. I
0: promise. Right, it makes it almost like a game where you're okay. Now I got to beat that. Got to beat that. So, and golfers, golfers relate to that pretty well because you know we constantly have a score, right? You know, every every time you go out and play, you got a score. So where, you know, it's it's not just it's you versus yourself basically out there, or you versus the course is probably more appropriate. But awesome. Last thing is, who should I get on the podcast next?
1: Uh, have you gotten Mike Carroll on the podcast yet? I have, yes. Oh, man. It's a good one. Um, let's see. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, he's awesome. He actually got me a shirt. And so I was swinging with it the other day, and I actually broke my club on my back while I was wearing his shirt. So I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, that,
0: that, that's where you take a picture of the club and be like, Mike's got me swinging so fast. And you let him use it for uh, um, a – Oh, a review
1: <laughs> yeah exactly um uh, so let's see uh there's another guy his his instagram handle is uh physio golf joe O. uh he'd be a guy if you haven't checked him out i would definitely he's got some really good stuff from both the pt side and the 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 strength training side like yourself with golf
0: yeah i've had joe on as well man I, I'm, I'm ahead of you <laughs> all right i'll let you think about it but you're gonna have to text me later give me one name all right <laughs> i will i will for sure awesome um, thank you, Bill, so much for coming on today. Before we before we uh, end this recording, let me let us know how we can follow you, keep up with your stuff, you know, buy your book, what these kinds
1: of things. Yeah. So Instagram is at BillMillerTraining. and in there you can see the link in the bio. You'll find the book right there in the link tree. Um, the book is called Swing Fast: A Guide to Rotational Power, and it's uh, it's available on Amazon, so you can buy it in two clicks. It's pretty simple. Okay. And that is it for this episode of the Golf Under Par
0: podcast. We'll have Bill's information in the show notes below. And thank you guys for listening. And thank you, Bill, for coming on. Remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers, just like you, that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for you, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group, where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.